stay on target. All this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Risk-free computing. Arcade 1-Up is no yoke. Wolf 8088. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Shortly before recording, we learned that Taylor, who is one half of Pints and Amigas, has passed away. Him and his dad streamed every week uh, from their Texas home, and they loved their Amigas. They had a really amazing setup. Um, I don't know the details of his passing, only that it was unexpected and the hospital were not able to save him. He passed away on Sunday, the 29th of January at the age of 31. Um, very young. Uh, it's a very sad moment for the Amiga community. We want to express our, our condolences and our thoughts are with the father, uh, his father and the, the community. Hello, chaps. Another week, another This Week in Retro. Another attempt to keep it within one hour. Will we succeed? We will find out as the show goes on. Um, uh, Chris, uh, last week we spoke to you and you were all about the Lego. You got your new Lego set and I can see on the video, as can those who are watching on video, you have a Lego spaceship next to you. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, obviously last week all I had was the box and now I've the finished product, which for those watching I will hold up, but for those listening... Um, it's a big Lego. You still ship, hold it up, but you just won't be able to see it. About, exactly, <laughs> it's about twice the size listening. of the original. Uh, so it's the Galaxy Explorer. You got four spacemen in the front cockpit. You have got a little robot in the back cockpit. You have got a, a moon buggy in the back section. And unlike the old, the models of old, it's actually got retractable landing gear and everything. I had so much fun building this. Oh, I just did so it carefully. Happy with himself. Yeah, I am. I just so did happy. it carefully over a few nights. Nine bags worth of pieces. Over a thousand. In fact, it tells me on the box, 1,254 pieces. And in fact, yeah. there's slightly more because there were some spares, um, which is fantastic. Yeah, good fun. And that, that has its roots in a, is it a 1970s range of spaceships that Lego bought out. Was that when they first came out? 80s, I think, was it? Early was it 80s? the 80s? That, that's certainly when I was playing with them. Because I always remember yeah. you had the little um, orange spaceman minifig. He was a... A popular yeah. one. And I, I thought that went back to the 70s, but maybe it's the oh, 80s. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, and, and again, you know, to me, these all look like the originals, which is, yeah. you know, potentially um, annoying some collectors, but I think it's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, how's your week been? Um, I have been humming and hawing about Return to Monkey Island. I haven't made a decision yet. Oh. And to make things worse, they've now brought out um, Power Slave which you may, um, you may know as, as Exhumed. They're doing a, a PC big box release of that, and it's really difficult to get the original. So it might actually be, it might actually end up getting both of those. And of course, there's Loom and there's Sam and Max, and I'm looking at them all, I'm thinking, do I want them? I don't know. Have you made a decision on Return to Monkey Island? <laughs> well, after all oh, my bravado last week, saying I'm going to buy it. When it came to the crunch and I put it in the basket and it totaled up to $120, I'm like, oh. I've got all of February. I'll just give it a little bit more time before I uh, click that button. So I haven't yet. And do you know what I'm slightly put off by, Dave, is the daily spam I get in my inbox having registered an interest on that website for yeah. Return to Monkey. Oh, my goodness. I get so much junk from them every day. I know. I know. Oh. I know. 
I know I can unsubscribe, but that's not the point. Um, and I've, I've never played Sam and Max. Is that a fish-based Sam game Max there? Sam Max is great. Oh, Sa- Sam and Max is... Um... Sam and Max. <laughs> <laughs> never played it, Dave. <laughs> oh, no. I'll look oh. up. <laughs> Have you actually got, played it? I got your hook, line, and sinker there. <laughs> or were you just fishing for a joke oh, hey, yeah. right I think we should move on <laughs> please no more bait <laughs> oh Show. Is there any housekeeping to be had? <laughs> I don't even need to say anything. My voice is in the jingle. <laughs> is there any housekeeping to be had? Uh, and thank you to, is it me and my rhythm box who made that jingle? Dave, housekeeping. There was a, an unusual submission to the subreddit and um, people seem to, to like the look of it. Um, titled, Silly American Loves Your Accents. I noticed it, and I was already going to talk about it, and so did Neil, and Neil's put it in. And um, <laughs> a, a, a new subscriber wants us to read out certain things. He particularly likes our accents. Oh, no. So let's entertain him by going through it. Okay. Um, so I think he's, he's, he's given us all to... a line, hasn't he, that he'd like us yeah. to read out. Yeah. Neil, you're so, first. Okay, so this is the line he wants me to read out. That bloody American is certainly a bit of a cheeky monkey. (laughs) Mine is Sean Connery from The Hunt for Red October. Most things in here don't react well to bullets. (laughs) And Chris, in your best Australian... Uh, being uh, being <laughs> British, being British in all your life. Oh dear! A dingo ate the baby. <laughs> what ate the baby? A dingo. <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. You well, him? that was that was submitted oh, no. by Forsaken Panic Two Five Eight Two over on our subreddit reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. I don't think this is going to become a regular feature, but no, happy to do it no, once. Please no. <laughs> oh, we have had um, some new patrons four in the space of a week, so thank you very much to Adam, to Robert, to Jim, and Richard. Thank you very much. Um, and that is patreon.com forward slash I'm just trying to remember this week in retro is that where we are this week that's the one you're doing today yep (laughs) yeah yeah, that's where that's where we are so a big thank you to our 14 twirlers (laughs) 14 uh, this week in retro listeners every time I hear twirlers (laughs) I twirlers turkey twizzlers turkey twirlers oh god yeah Bernard Matthews Mm. nobody wants to be compared to those yeah Uh, any other housekeeping Dave not this week. Okay. Well, let's go into our first story then. Oh, sorry. There is one more bit of housekeeping. And because the font, font colour changed, I missed it out entirely. Um, <laughs> Deadlock produces a, a, a PDF every week, which is an episode guide. I may have mentioned it before, but if you go to bit.ly slash TWIR underscore PDF, 
then you get a, a flip book which he generates, which has the thumbnail as well as what we covered every week. So if you want to go through the back catalogue and find out what's there, then go to that URL. Nice. Yeah, it's really useful because it covers every single episode that we've ever done uh, and drills into all the stories so you can just listen to those stories uh, if that takes your interest. So thank you. And um, I did have the pleasure of meeting Deadlock at Amiga Island. Cool. And uh, lovely chap. Had a really nice chat with him. So nice to meet you. And thank you for putting that PDF together. Our first story is submitted to us by the catchily named listener G7VFY. Uh, this story uh, links to longtime IT news website, The Register, which many listens, listeners will be familiar with. Um, back in the days when I actually worked in IT, I'd always start my morning coffee at the desk, bringing up The Register to see what stories were on there and um, trying to stay up to date with the IT news. Uh, they've been having a retro tech week, which is nice to see. Nice to see a bit of acknowledgement on a on a modern day current news site of retro tech. And one of the stories shared on our subreddit um, comes from the register by this listener in which the register or El Reg, El Reg, is that what the, uh, the El Reg, regular yeah. readers, El Reg. El Reg mm. um, they discussed the old operating system, RISC OS. Now, this was originally de developed by Acorn as the OS for their ARM-based Archimedes range of computers, which first launched in 1987. RISC-OS will be familiar to a generation of school kids who saw the BBC microcomputer slowly replaced by the Archimedes in their classrooms. The OS wasn't immediately ready for the launch of the Archimedes machines. In fact, when the very, very first Archimedes machines came out, they were branded BBC um, and then later they were branded Acorn uh, just to try and follow on through the computer literacy project. But um, I think there was some pushback by research machines who were the competitor in the educational market. And they were like, come on, guys, that's not very fair. You know, <laughs> siding with a huge corporation like the BBC, come on, give us a chance. Um, and I don't know too many details about that story, but I know there was some pushback and they moved to using the Acorn name. Anyway, so Risk OS wasn't ready at the launch of the first Archimedes machines, but they did have an OS called Arthur, which looked much more BBC Micro-like in its style and its quite garish Technicolor palette. And that was a stopgap until Risk OS was ready. Um, did you guys ever ever come across Arthur in the wild? No, 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 me no. neither. That was very short-lived, I think. Anyway, the Archimedes wasn't as universally prevalent as the BBC Micro. Some schools clung to the Beeb and then made the jump straight to IBM PC compatible, so they didn't take that middle step. But I certainly saw plenty from my own experience, including one Archimedes which was in the library at our school, had a single-speed CD-ROM drive, and that was probably where I first, first tried out my first ever interactive encyclopedia. Had a little caddy that you'd put the disc in. Um, sat very close to the librarian's desk so she could keep an eye on it. And she had that you know, big wooden boxes with the cards, the Dewey Decimal System used in the library. You know, you'd slip the cards in the front cover of the book and take them out and put the name on of, of who, who loaned it. Um, so th that was all right next to the Archimedes. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent there. The, the OS was fast to boot. Dave, you, you look like you're about to say something. What was the rude word, the first rude word that you typed into the encyclopedia? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I typed plenty of rude words. You in to do it. <laughs> I mean, ask me about the Say program on the Amiga, which would make it speak out loud. Just yeah. rude words all oh, day yeah. going into that. That's um, all it did, wasn't encyclopedia, it? Encyclopedia, <laughs> yeah. I probably just searched for 
articles that I thought were most likely to perhaps have video clips, postage stamp sized video clips. Okay. Okay. That's what I was hunting for, things to watch. And, and invariably, it was moon landings, it mm. was athletics world records, you know, things like that. Um, so the OS itself, Risk OS, was fast to boot. It was stored in the ROM of the machine, which is what you wanted in a classroom. It was officially worked on by Acorn all the way through to 1999, um, developing through the Archimedes and then the Risk PC machines that they brought out through the 90s, all fighting against the tide at the time of the x86-based CPUs and Windows, the might of Microsoft pushing Windows so hard. Um, and then if we fast forward to the present day, the OS is actually still active. It's changed hands a couple of times. Uh, Pace Technology owned it for a while. They they used to make set-top boxes. Castle Technology bought it. Um, that's a company who actually developed their own uh, Acorn-compatible machine. It was called the Lionix, not Linux, Lionix, um, in 2002. And that ran a version of Risk OS. Um, which had been adapted to work to that, which was a 32-bit machine. I think it was 24-bit before that. So the, the operating system had to be adapted to work on the new um, architecture. And then finally, in 2020, they open-sourced RISC OS 5. So um, people were able to, to work on it openly. Um, and then the older closed-source RISC OS 3.71 was actually leaked onto Pirate Bay. So even that one's out there as well. Are legitimately and illegitimately. So back to the register now. Um, on their story, they have an interview with Steve Revel from Risk OS Open. So these are the people that are now managing the development of the source code, or at least, you know, it's open source. So they're just one group of people who have got organized and rallied around it and are pushing it forward on a voluntary basis, largely, and keeping it alive. So if you wanted to try it out and see where this operating system is today, you can you can do it on various machines, but more commonly on the spiritual successor to the Archimedes, the Raspberry Pi. Now, Dave, it makes me feel kind of warm and fuzzy that it's still around and it's still loved and it's still possible to fire it up. Do you have any love for Risk OS and the Archimedes? I, I do in, in, in a way, but um, I've never used one. I, I read about uh, the Archimedes in magazines um, Zark, uh, which was known as Virus and other systems, was the big, the big um, game for it that everybody knew about. My schools went from the BBCs to Apple Macs of all things. Oh wow! They didn't okay. ever get the Archimedes in. They went to the Apple Mac and then they went to PC. So the Apple Mac wasn't there for very long, but they went from BBC to Apple Mac to PC. Missed the Archimedes. A bit of a shame. Um, I think. Because we are we're British, we, we we like to to think about the Archimedes as a kind of it could have been a contender type of thing. It could have been instead of x eighty six if we'd had instead of is it this is risk instead of Cisk. That's it's right. More scalable and all the rest of it. I and mean, things above my head, I'm afraid. Um, but for me, the the big deal for it is Elite. Elite kind of did a full circle. It came out on the Acorn BBC in 1984 amazing game it's a space trading and combat game um vector Never based graphics it. i know <laughs> I, I, Chris I, I know you'll have heard of it i'm sure most people will but in case you haven't in case you, let's not let's not assume procedurally generated universe in there eight galaxies amazing game so many it's so important a game um it came out in bbc in 1984 
and it eventually got ported to absolutely everything and eventually got ported to the Archimedes in 1991 and enhanced. And from the um, the elite news groups uh, that I was on and using it, etc., it was always the version that people talked about. Um, so from the Frontier Astro Elite fan site, Archimedes Elite was regarded as a huge leap from the original BBC version which was released in 1991. Utilising the power of the Acorn Archimedes series of computers, it boasted solid-filled ships and objects, greatly enhanced AI and a greater range of ships, and also, for the first time, the player was no longer the centre of the galaxy. Other ships would frequently have their own battles, the police would deal with pirates, and the player could watch it all unfold without getting involved unless they so wished. So for me, that that's what the Archimedes is, is Archelite. Nice. That's it. That's that's where the Archimedes... That's, that's it, yeah. If I get an Archimedes, that's what I want to do. Yeah, Archelite. <laughs> How about you, Chris? Any Archimedes memories? Well, I mean, first of all, the, the fact that Risk OS is still going, it really makes me wish I'd kept my Pi 400 because I got rid of it as soon as the A500 Mini came out because I was just using that as a Mini Amiga. Um and then I think Dan Wood did a video on running Risk OS on the Pine. It was like, as you said, it's a spiritual successor. It's a nice fit. It actually doesn't feel like cheating or emulation in a way, if that mm. makes sense, um, which is nice. Um, so in terms of actually using uh, an A3, it would have been the A3000s, a wedge-shaped model. Um, my sister uh, was working in a school in Romford, uh, a junior school, and I did some work experience there as a teacher's aide. And that's the only place I came across one because my my high school uh, or secondary school, as we would call them, um, that just still had BBC Micros, even though it was a secondary school. Um, and they didn't actually move on from BBC Micros. They instead got bulldozed and turned into a housing estate. That's how good a school it was. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't until I did this uh, work experience with my sister that I came across one. And I thought I knew everything. Um, so, of course, I was telling her, you know, why have you got this heap of rubbish, which I didn't really know how to use? Um you know, you should have Amigas in the classroom. They'd be much better. Fast oh, for forward. Goodness sake. I know, seriously. For goodness seriously, sake. Seriously, stop it. But fast forward, um, probably only last year, or maybe it was the year before, one of the first Perth Amiga users group meets I went to, and one of the guys there, Steve, had an A3000 set up there, and he was showing Zarch, and he also showed um, Starfighter 3000. And suddenly yep. it was, oh, my goodness, this machine is actually amazing. It's actually heaps better than the Amiga ever was. And I've, 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 dro- I've dropped a link in the um, – yeah, you can record me saying that because we are. Um, but I've dropped a link in the show notes to the computerhistory.org um, website where there's a massive list of, you know, I assume most of the games on the Archimedes. And you've got some heavy hitters from the Amiga and ST library. Uh, and, the, and the scary thing is I bet they actually play better on the Archimedes than they did on than the Amiga, or especially the Amiga 500 anyway. So you've got Lotus 2 is in there, Tower of Babel, Swiv, Speedball 2, uh, Starfighter 3000 I've already mentioned, and also 3D Construction Kit. So, oh, you know, nice. we've, all, we've all discussed our love for that. I bet it runs really nice and smooth uh, on the Archimedes. So, yeah. I didn't know that was that was ported over there, 3D construction kit. I mean, you've listed off some games there. Obviously, it wasn't primarily a games machine. It was mm-hmm. um it was coveted for its wonderful version of BBC Basic on there, which you could uh, do inline um uh assembly um programming mixed in with your basic 
which was really nice. And in fact, I think that was how Starfighter 3000 was written. Oh, really? Um, it's kind of a, a shining example of basic um, with inline assembly to, you know, wow. speed up the bits that needed speeded, speeding up. Um, there were there were some, if you want to talk games, there were some absolute stinkers on the system. You know, there was no quality control whatsoever, much like the Amiga. Um, but it's it's kind of a good thing that it was detached from games. Can, can you imagine if you had Amiga 500s in the classroom, everyone bringing in their pirated discs and just playing <laughs> games all day? It would be a nightmare. I mean, one of the What's first emulators <laughs> I ever used was a ZX Spectrum emulator, which we used to run on the Archimedes at school and play ZX Spectrum games. And that was disruptive enough. Mm. But that had a certain, you know, that had some hoops to jump through technically to get it running and to get the game to load. So if it was just as easy as slapping a disc in the side, um, which it was, but mm. not many people had those discs at home to, uh, to, you know, those games at home to bring in and play. So it's probably for the best. Anyway, um, it's fascinating that it's still alive and that it's, it's still running and it's a really nice piece of um, British history. Aside from the thing that people more often talk about when it comes to the Archimedes, which is the development of the ARM processor and how that had the last laugh. You know, Dave mentioned um, how we like a British success story and we were willing the Archimedes to do well in the 90s uh, and it came up against the Intels of the world and, and, and didn't compete. But it certainly had the last laugh in that ARM processor. Check out the interview where Steve talks about all this and more and um, his his desire to develop it further with support for 64-bit, multiple processors and all sorts that they want to put in there. Maybe you have the skills to volunteer and help with its development um, and you can uh, go and check out the website. All the links are in the show notes. We are sponsored, thank you very much, by Pixel Addict Magazine. Pixel Addict magazine is a monthly magazine with um, all sorts of things from the retro world in the 80s and 90s, not just games, but plenty of games. Uh, I don't know why Neil's grinning. Um, <laughs> it was just your dour Scottish accent there, Dave. I was, um, <laughs> I, was I, I was expecting a bit more enthusiasm from a sponsor <laughs> slot. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying it's bad. I have, you know, we do things our way here. Yeah, I, 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 I am enthusiastic. I do like it. Um, <laughs> this month, I was reading on page eighteen. I was reading "Grime to Gleaming." Um, not quite trash to treasure. I wonder if there's a... <laughs> someone's taken inspiration from you there, Neil. Uh, someone's taken a, a Pentium PC and uh, turned it into something a lot cleaner. Um, talking about cable management and the mess and the dirt inside it. Um, have you had a look yet, Neil? Um, I've just popped it up on the screen here because I've got the PDF version here. Um, and it's so nicely laid out. It's so professionally laid out, this magazine, isn't it? This is not amateur hour. This is a really nice thing. I haven't read through that article. I've just popped up the page that you mentioned. So that's my first impression is... Um, I'm going to read this because it, it looks like it's worth reading. It doesn't look like it's just been thrown together. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what am I missing? Have you read it? What, the, the article? This article, yes. No, no nothing in particular. Just, I, I just I, I like the article. It was a good article. Oh, okay. okay. No, I'm not, I don't want All a punchline. Right. All right, Dave, don't get defensive. <laughs> <laughs> We're really good at this fun. <laughs> <laughs> Pixel Addict is available in the shops. Uh, WH Smith is available worldwide, or you can get it uh, from 
the website as a PDF, as Neil and I both have. Uh, and, it, and what's it, the web address? It, it, it's, available, <laughs> it's pixel.addict.media. We are so good at sponsorships, lads. <laughs> what's that? You're dropping us. No, 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 let's talk about it later. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a call back. Bye. <laughs> Arcade One Up is no yoke. Um, this week in retro, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> What's your favourite arcade game, Neil? I think yours used to be Outrun. Is it now Track and Field? <laughs> Look, my favourite arcade game is uh, well, it's, it's interesting actually because since the arcade archive opened, whether there's people there or whether there's just Alex there, what I'm rediscovering is competitive gaming in person mm. which i forgot how much i loved it you know mm. i've played outrun on mame on my own for decades i've played track and field on my own but now to stand next to someone and play competitively mm. and and to trash talk each other oh it's just wonderful to nice. be in that world again and be able to do that again so yes i'm still playing a lot of outrun but i'm playing an awful lot of track and field because alex is so competitive about that game at the moment and we are <laughs> squeezing like <laughs> last time yes but we we keep going past each other we're just like pushing each other further and further and further to get more and more points and we're, we're getting quite good at it outrun would be my favorite funnily enough um but it, i actually only ever played it a couple of times i actually put a lot more coins into chase hq operation wolf and especially street fighter 2 for the very same reason you were just talking about there neil because by that time it was a group of mates from college standing next to each other beating each other up on the screen, obviously, and that's what made it fun. You know, that game by itself, just trying to go through the single player, you know, that's neither here nor there. But when you're playing against a mate, fantastic. My my favourite arcade game is Star Wars. I played the sit-down one in the Fernley Hotel in St Anne's as a kid. Uh, I played lots of arcade machines in the hotel, but that's my favourite. I can remember there being Mr Do, Berserk, Donkey Kong Jr., and when we went to the big, or at least I thought it was big in my memory as a little kid, went to the big arcade on the pier almost every night. I remember Gauntlet being there eventually. We used to go every year, uh, and I think I saw the kind of arcade games increasing in, in complexity and so on over the years I went there because it was maybe from the the, the, the early kind of mid-80s up to almost the 90s. Uh, and that's why I love arcade games is because I went to St. Anne's. St. Anne's is a, uh, is a seaside resort next to Blackpool. But I love the Star Wars speech. The bright colour vector graphics did a great job. And the sit-down cabinet uh, immersed me. Um, I love playing Star Wars. You mentioned the bright colour vector graphics. Well, it's those bright colour vector graphics and the monitor that's needed to produce them that mm. makes them... Um, uh, quite rare to get hold of those monitors and quite complex to repair or at least find someone with the experience with those monitors to repair. Uh, and it was just this week that our Star Wars in Arcade Archive, the game runs, but the screen is kind of squished down in half and it's missing half the oh, image. No. So there's oh. something has gone in that original color vector monitor in the cabinet and we need to get to the bottom of it. And it's it's so sad because it's a cabinet that so many people like yourself want to come and experience and play. So we must try and get that working. If anyone out there um, is a specialist in uh, Atari color vector monitors or um, has some spares or anything like that, do get in touch because we need your help. Anyway, Dave. Is that something that um, um, CRT Rob might, might, might well, have expertise in? 
We will certainly get him to have a look at it. He, he lives so far away. He's, you know, his visits uh, are few and far yeah. between. And of course, Richard, yeah. when he's got time, but Richard's a very busy man. So he's, we've got to prioritize what, what he works on. Um, so um, it will get looked at. It's just if anybody out there is a specialist, you know, it saves a huge amount of time drawing on that experience, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, Atari came out with Star Wars in 1983. They come out with Empire Strikes Back in 1984, although I think that was a conversion. And then Return of the Jedi in 1985. Three great games in three years from Atari, and all of them were controlled by a flight yoke. Um, today's story is submitted by Dr. Local, and it's about the re-release of Arcade 1-Up Star Wars Cabinet. Now, Neil, there's no way you would want this. You've got the real things down downstairs in the archive, yeah, we, even we, though... Maybe we should take out the insides and put it in the real thing, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, just put a pie in it. Uh, did you ever play it on your Amigas? I had it on the ST. It was a fantastic port on the PC. I on the ST and the, the mouse control for it. Yeah, there you go. The mouse control wasn't terrible, uh, even though it's not the flight yoke, it wasn't terrible, uh, and it even had some speech on the ST. But the reason why I'm keen to talk about it today is that it's unusual in terms of home play because you just can't have a vector monitor, never mind a colour one, and you can't have the Star Wars yoke. The closest you can come is maybe a Vectrex in mono to play it, but you can't have the Star Wars yoke with it. So this is something that, that I've never been able to emulate properly at home. Uh, playing it on the ST with a mouse is probably the closest. Um, certainly, um, I, I you can put it in main, yeah. but it's, it, you don't have the yoke. I don't, I don't think it's a case that you, you you can't. You technically can. It's just that there was no desire to produce such a system after the failure of the Vectrex. No one was going to go, oh, let's make a color Vectrex now because that was so successful. Yeah. There's no way to do it at home. You have to find the arcade cab to do it, to do it right. Um, now, one up made this and they've re-released it. They claim to be three-quarter scale, and I think that's a bit generous. I don't think they are quite three-quarter scale. I've seen pictures of them besides real cabinets, and they're much, much smaller. Uh, they come with a, a stand. I thought they stole, they stole the stand separately, but it looks as if the riser stand now comes with them, and that boosts the height up, and with that, I think they get to a reasonable height. And in a typical British home, we've got no room for full-sized arcade cabs. So that type of compromise is maybe where they'll get used and why they've done that, and also to bring down cost. Um, I don't, I've never thought that arcade 1-Up is, is the thing for me. The big stumbling block that happened is the monitors. They're not CRTs. They don't try to look like CRTs. They're clearly an LCD. In this room, I've only got one LCD. It's the one I'm facing just now. Everything else around me is a CRT monitor because I love them. Um, but with this, I don't think a CRT is going to be any good at doing vector graphics. When why would a CRT be, be a better vector monitor than a than an LCD? I think an LCD might actually be better at vector stuff. Um, with the riser, the arcade cab is five foot tall, which is 155 centimeters, and 19 inches wide, 48 centimeters wide. So they're really not very big. They have improved the cabinet artwork on the re-release. It does look fantastic. It's a 17-inch monitor, and the three Star Wars games are in it. Uh, the two vector ones in Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi is not a vector-based game, and they're all flight yoke games. It's $600 in the US, but £700 in the UK, and I'm still tempted. 
Um, I prefer my current setup for playing arcade games where I've got a Sony Trinitron TV with a Mr. Multisystem and a Mayflash F500, which I put genuine Sanwar parts into. And that's great for playing arcade games. But you can't. I just can't do this without without the the proper flight yoke and the the monitor. I also do have a twenty one inch Sony Pro CRT monitor that came from Monaco and got thoroughly smashed on the way over here. <laughs> uh, the plastic did at least the, the metal cage inside is fine. The monitor itself works, so I have an idea that maybe sometime in the future I'll build my own arcade cab with that in it. Um, or even half an arcade cab. But even then, I won't be able to do Star Wars Justice. Now, Neil, I know you built your own mini gauntlet cab. Do you think you'll ever have another arcade game at home, or do you see enough of them at work? Oh, yeah, I would have one at home because I think they're just beautiful objects. Um, I would always favour trying to get an original cab whether it's got original parts in or a flat screen or not i just like the proportions i think the proportion of an arcade machine is everything when i when i look at it and that's because i'm nostalgic for those original arcade machines um if that wasn't the case i might look at an arcade one up and go well that delivers the experience that i want but for me personally I can tell by just looking at it that it's not the experience I want because the experience starts from the moment that I look at it. Um, and that's not ticking my boxes. However, I've heard um, of the whole arcade one-up range, I've heard that the Star Wars one is the most sought after. Uh, and that's probably why they've got a second run of them because the demand was so high for it because a, a yoke is quite a unique control. I mean, that's a nice thing to get hold of. Would I spend $600 on it like you're considering, Dave? Um, I mean, a minute ago, you were telling me you were struggling to think about spending $120 on Monkey Island. So uh, I don't think you're going to come back next week and tell me you spent $600 on an arcade one-up. Maybe you'll surprise me. £700. £700. Yeah. Um, And for that, you get to play yoke-based games, which are few and far between. So you've got to be really into your Star Wars. No, just, just, just three, just three. Mm. I, I don't yeah. know if you can jailbreak a, a, an arcade one out to put other stuff in it, but yeah, just three games. Yeah, so if I was going to think about spending that kind of money, I would think about um, putting together a custom control panel into which I could slot in a yoke, but then take it out and use joysticks or something like that. Just to, If I'm going to spend that much money, I want to be able to play as many games as possible on it. However, a lot of people are collectors of arcade one-ups, so they might have this lined up alongside other ones, and that's where they get their choice of games from, by building their own arcade in inverted commas. So I don't want to dismiss or or put people down for favoring arcade one-ups just because it's not to my taste. You know, if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. Let's not gatekeep about this. I've seen people with a a row of six or seven arcade one-ups, and if you to have six or seven real arcade machines, there's no way you could fit them in your house. They're just they're, mm. they're, they're enormous. True. In fact, yeah. I've watched um, Alex doing pickup videos where he goes <laughs> to pick up, where he goes to pick up an arcade cabinet from people's house, and these are normal British houses. And you go in, and there's this honking, great big, massive arcade cabinet in someone's living room, and there's no way a reasonable, normal person would have them. It's only, it's, it's only absolute lunatics. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, and this that, go- have, that have this <laughs> massive thing in the living room. And this comes to proportions again. The the proportions and the shape of an arcade cabinet is important, but so too is the setting that you put it in. If you put it in a small living room, it just looks massively out of place. So that's perhaps again where an arcade one-up is proportionally looked 
looks better and more in place. Um, when I did have a full size arcade cabinet in my flat, uh, it was in a room that had like an alcove that I could push it back in. So it, it almost looked like it was flush along the wall once it was pushed back in there. So that worked quite nicely. Um, anyway, uh, home versions of Star Wars. Um, you mentioned the ST you liked. I tried a lot of them when I was making the video about the Vec Fever, the Amstrad CPC or GX4000 version, the Amiga version. And they all do a pretty good job of it. They can all, you know, play the game quite well. But as you mentioned, they cannot replicate the brightness of those lines converging on a vector monitor or the explosions in the arcade game. Um, that's where these monitors really come into their own. Now, if we don't ever find a way to fix the Star Wars monitor that's broken here, um, there is talk and examples on the internet where people have made laser-based screen replacements. So instead of a vector monitor, you have three colored lasers that are moving very quickly. If you think about being at a rave or fireworks night or whatever and shining a, a laser pen really quickly and writing your name with it, you know, you just mm -hmm. see the glow in the air, make the shape. That's what a vector monitor does, I think. Well, you can do that with lasers, laser pens. Mm -hmm. So um, you... you some of the examples I've seen just are actually three people, use... one, just uh, three friends, one one with each <laughs> to draw tie fighters. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Some of the examples I've seen actually use the arms ripped out of hard disks because those arms to to move the the read write head around a hard disk move so quickly. Well, if you've got one, if you've got one that's strong enough to move with the weight of a laser on it, you can configure them to become a replacement vector monitor, if you like, shining lasers around. So. Um, we are looking into that as a possibility. Um, should I tell you about Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> in the first instance, um, uh, a couple of people are helping us to build, including CRT Rob, um, uh, a laser display that will cover the entire side of the mill. <laughs> Ooh. So we could run Star Wars, you know, oh. three or four stories big. That's that's the first challenge that we want to achieve. Um, and yeah, then, first. and then if if that works, then kind of scaling down that technology into an arcade cabinet sized piece of tech, oh, nice. and then um, you know we can we can blast lasers at people's eyeballs. We can't see it. nothing could go wrong with that, surely? No, fine. <laughs> if it happens, if you of can course. Get I'll make a video about it, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you can get that working. I mean, the the original Star Wars cab had a bit of a flicker going on, so if you mm. could do it without the flicker, and you could, oh, that'd be amazing. I guess um, that all comes down yeah. to the speed that it can move these lasers, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And reliability. It would need to be really reliable to run all day, every day. So, yeah. yeah. Watch this space. If we can make it happen, we will. Anyway, I've talked far too much. Chris, <laughs> you're a Star Wars fan, aren't you? I am indeed. Yeah, no, we certainly played it on the Amiga and I held up earlier, but I'll do it again, um, the, the trilogy. And, and that's how we bought it back in the day. So the day we bought my Amiga 500 Batman pack, my brother then added some extra money into the pot and we bought Star Wars. But he also bought a Bishu Zuma um, yoke, uh, which is I know, a yep. hideous looking controller and very yep. easy to break. And we did break it very quickly playing Star Wars. But the reason he did that was for that very reason, Dave. He wanted the closest experience he could because he played it in the arcade more than I ever did. And, and that's what he was trying to do. So he needed the game, and which does play beautifully on the Amiga. Um, and he, he needed a yoke controller. But of course, the yoke is it's digital. And so you've not got that analog control. And the problem with, and this was a problem with many controllers like this back in the day, was 
even though we knew they were digital, you'd still have that instinct of your head where if you wanted to turn faster or you know pitch up faster, you put more pressure on the thing, and that's why they broke because they're not they're yeah. not designed to go. I remember and, doing it in, in driving yeah. games. You're leaning over even yeah. more, and it doesn't make any difference. That broke mm-hmm. so many joysticks, yeah. So and and including the Bishi, there was a little um, a piece of plastic inside that the, the switches for left and right would hit, and that piece of plastic just wasn't strong enough. It didn't actually go straight through the structure, so it would just snap off and goodbye joystick. Um, but yeah, I mean, on, on the subject of arcades in the home, I actually have a, a quite a nice sized garage that I keep changing the idea of what I want to do with the space. It's got a pool table in there, and obviously, it's got one of my cars in there. Um, but at one point, I wanted to put, I've always wanted, for as long as I can remember, an arcade cabinet or two. Should have picked up OutRun when it was affordable. Never did. Um, and so that's where I'm, if I was going to buy any original cabinets or if I was to build any reconstructions of cabinets or something like Arcade One Up, they fit quite nicely in that space. But in all honesty, I am cheap and I am lazy and I'm actually leading towards just getting a bar fridge. And a flat screen, Dave, a flat screen TV on the wall on top of the bar fridge and a Pandora's box. I'm sorry. I'll let myself out. <laughs> Disqualified. Disqualified. Yeah, I think, um, mm, the, the silence just speaks. <laughs> <laughs> that does volumes, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Pandora's box. Well, at least when you when you realise you're not Stuff happy with your elf. Pandora's box, you haven't spent <laughs> yeah, too much yeah. money on the thing. <laughs> look, look, from there, and it's because of Arcade Archive and other similar channels, you know, you do start learning more about the jammer cabs, and you go, okay, so you can buy a cab, and then you can buy replacement boards, and that's where your multitude of games come in over time, and that's quite attractive, I must say. So, yeah, yeah. I would I would still go with a Pi over a Pandora's box. Just, yeah, just yeah. from experience of using them both, I've, yeah. I find the Pi is is a nicer experience. So, okay, yeah. The um, the generic Jama um, arcade cabinets that Alex has, they're what an arcade cab looks like to me. Unless it's one of the the real kind of standout ones like Outrun, Super Hang On, uh, or Star Wars. That that's what a normal arcade for Bubble Bobble, Street Fighter Two, that thing. That's what a arcade cab looks like for me. So that's what I'd like. I'd like here, but it's just the size of it. I did do some calculations in the screen size. It's a seventeen-inch LCD and looks to me to be a widescreen one. So to give that equivalent in a more square monitor, like what we're we're used to with arcade machines, then in terms of height, a seventeen-inch widescreen is the same height as a fourteen-inch monitor with extra space on the sides. Or to put it differently, if you're watching a 14-inch, 4-3 aspect ratio television next to a widescreen 17-inch TV, and you're watching uh, 90s TV in the original aspect ratio, then you have the same screen size, you see the same thing. So it's all led me to be thinking that, for me, 700 is probably too much to pay when the screen is relatively small. I think I might end up playing it and feeling a bit disappointed with a, a machine that just it just isn't quite where I need it to be to feel like it's the arcade. So I understand the need to compromise for cost and space, but I think it's maybe a bit too small. Um, now, as far as them being sold out, there's a comment in the article saying that although they are sold out direct, you can still get them from Shop Hippo and on the UK, I saw them in pre-order at games. So that's not, this isn't people reselling them. This this is people that Arcade One Up have sold sold the machines to to sell for them. So maybe maybe sold out is a bit of a stretch. So you can still get it if you want. If I've talked you into it.
Okay, Pajeko6502 shared a link to doomworld.com featuring a post by user Unkunduma. Let's call him that. Um, the post is about, it's not actually about Doom running on a blender within Doom, uh, but it's actually about Wolfenstein 3D. Uh, and it's running on a PC, which we expect, but this PC it has a 8088 CPU from 1979 and a CGA graphics card from 1981. So the work has been done by developer James Howard, and he's actually made all his work available on GitHub, links in the show notes. Um, and the results are actually pretty cool. I've watched several videos of people running this on period correct metal, and one of the nicest ones is by Al's Geek Lab, uh, so I'll drop that link in as well. And he runs it on an IBM XT286 running at 6 megahertz. It's smooth and it looks totally playable in nearly full screen, uh, running in all its four-color CGA glory. Uh, and it's using that dithering trick, basically, to reduce the actual resolution whilst maintaining that sort of look of being full screen. Uh, so think back to things like, you know, Carrier Command, but on the Spectrum, or, or even the Quake Engine that we talked about a few episodes back, where you've got, you know, basically black dots filling up half the screen, but you don't notice them because they're in, interspersed with everything else. This, to me, has that same look and feel about that, but you've got a bit more color than the Spectrum, obviously, um, and uh, the, the code developed by James actually uses the original Wolf 3D files, so you've still got the sprites, you know, for the, for the enemies and, and the pickups and all of that kind of stuff. So, guys, this is Wolf 3D running on hardware that came out 10 years before the game. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's impressive. Um, and a reminder that the 8088, um, the difference between that and the 8086 is that it had um, an 8-bit data bus. So it's effectively, you know, considered, although it's very similar to the 8086, it's considered to be a, an 8-bit CPU for that reason. Um, so we're kind of Wolfenstein in the 8-bit era. Kind of. Um, I did see the video by Al, and I agree with what he says in the video, that, that if you had this in 1982, you would be pretty stoked, not just because of the graphics that you're seeing on the screen, which it does adapt to this uh, to, to CGA really well. I think it looks lovely. Um, but not just because of that, but if you got this in 1982, you would be witnessing the, the dawn of a new genre there and then if you compare it to the flick screen first person maze crawling of say 3d monster maze a year earlier on the zx81 um it's it's a quantum leap in gaming it would be a huge jump but of course that didn't happen that's, that's not how history unfolded just like the 90s demo scene of the amiga you know those stunning demos weren't available on the amiga 1000 when it came out in in 85 but you can go back and you can run it on on the on it now and you can always play that fun game of what if what if this existed how would that have changed the outlook of the ibm pc if wolfenstein dropped in 1982 on it that would have been amazing and likewise with those demos on the a1000 so you know we can't get too misty-eyed about that but it is a fun game and we need to remember that just as the hardware evolved over time so too did the understanding of the hardware and the coding techniques that complemented it and you know getting the most out of it I, I do love the fact that people are now taking that knowledge and going back and applying it. So that's always nice to see. Um, Wolfenstein in general. Um, in general, the game gives me very strong you you had to be there kind of vibes. And and what I mean when I say that is that I was surrounded by the 8 and the 16-bit, you know, the, the, the wedge machines, the Spectrums, the Amigas, the Ataris at the time when Wolfenstein came out. So I didn't know anyone that was playing it and I didn't have access to it. 
fast forward a little bit second time around when doom came out that was a different story you know i was i was there i got the shareware version i installed it i was just stunned and um and loved it so i get all of those memories when i play doom i don't get all of those memories and feelings when i play wolfenstein which is it's just a personal you know reflection on it but but wolfenstein does seem to have become a plaything for developers like doom has but um just developers who want to push themselves you know it came out on the mega drive on a homebrew release in 2014 it did actually come out on the super nintendo back in 1994 i think it was so you know it did it 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 did get those releases back then on other platforms and the jack um and the jack yeah well it was, surely it wasn't pushing the jag no the jag, it wouldn't have been pushing which, the jag you know, well should have been know, capable actually. of running that 64 bit even 64 bit you know if we want to go back to arm and and risk os it was on the 3do which had you know an arm cpu it was almost like a consoleized archimedes made by the amiga team or some of members of the amiga team so yeah anyway um just had to shoehorn the word amiga in there dave before i hand back to you <laughs> <laughs> um can you get it on an atari st dave yes there's been a Wolfenstein port of uh, on the ST for a while now. It's, it's, it runs runs really well on a 68K. Runs better on the Mega ST than it does on a, on a basic one. But yeah, it runs really well. So, what's more impressive, Dave? Do you think Wolf 3D on an IBM XT, or when we saw Quake on a ZX Spectrum? I, I think I don't want to take away from anything because they're both amazing. But I think this is more impressive. It's so smooth. You can see what's going on. While Quake on the Specky was amazing, but it wasn't really Quake. I mean, this is really Wolfenstein. Uh, this is real. Uh, the, the Quake was Quake-like. Um, the trick that they've used, do I remember being done on a screen with a video and GIFs to bring down the file size? And I think it's some kind of optical illusion where someone's found out how much, exactly how much, screen you can cut away and still have our brains fill in the gaps and by doing that they end up with this amazing technique they've used here which is i presume this is the only reason why it works is the screen technique where there's actually not that much data but it fills in in your in your mind Uh, and i think that's what's amazing about this it's true and it actually comes back from even further back than that well to a point because you use the same trick in print um so comic books used to use the same technique um, because of the printing technology that was available at the time. And you didn't even notice it until somebody pointed out that half the picture was just black dots. And then you go, what are you talking about? And you look at it. I remember the first time it was pointed out to me, it was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then, you know, and then you can see it every time you look. So it's that same trick, which I think I think works really well. But, yeah, just you know to be what clear, does, You know what, what does look good in print, Chris? What's that? Pixelatic magazine. That looks fantastic in print. I mean, yes, you can get it on screen, Neil. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. You can actually order it and just have PDF-only version. But there's nothing like holding that print copy in your hand, regardless of where you are in the world. So go down to your local uh, (laughs) news agent. They probably got it on the shelf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think we've redeemed ourselves, Neil. There you go. We have. We have. Okay. Anyway, um, did I interrupt you? What point were you making there, Chris? No. So the final point on this one really is just to be clear uh, about this project. uh, So back to the Wolfenstein on the 8088. Um, 
the source code that's been made available is just for, let, let's call it a patch uh, to make the game work on this old hardware. So you still need the original game, but several options have been made available of the patch um, depending on you know, which hardware you want to target and also depending on whether you've got the shareware version of the game or the full release. So it's really well done. What I, what I do like about this project, though, and similar projects, and you've touched on this, Neil, is it just opened you up to that, that contemplation. What if Wolf 3D had come out in 1982 instead of 1992? Because theoretically, you know, if a genius had woken up one morning, this proves that it was possible. It's time now for our question of the week. And uh, last week's question was all about the cinemaware game or cinemaware inspired game that we were talking about, Return to the Desert. And the question was, what modern movie would you like to see made into an 8 or 16-bit cinemaware style game? Now, Duncan's popped his answer into the show notes and he says, how about something visually striking like The Fifth Element? Plenty of scenarios for different styles of play, flying taxi escapes, space flight, run and gun platforming and puzzles. So that's Duncan's choice, The Fifth Element. Um, the way he describes it kind of reminds me of uh, Die Hard, another Bruce Willis film, because when the game came out, it was split into three elements. You had like a virtual mm. cop level you had a driving level and what was the other level you had i can't remember the other one that you had on there um i mustn't have played that one very much <laughs> um that level at least but I, I did play the other the other two levels a lot so fifth element and we'll dip into our subreddit reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro where we can see the first answer is from that familiar name pajaco 6502 he says i'm going with knives out the first one that's the um that's the detective film isn't it with yeah. old, um, Great daniel film. craig oh, james bond daniel craig in yeah. It. yeah really good yeah, film i've seen mm. i watched the the new the, the more recent one lately and I, I do think i like the first one better but it was still a fun yeah. watch i haven't watched the um, second one yet so no spoilers <laughs> so he goes on to say a crazy whodunit with secret locations puzzles and a murder to solve i'd like to see all of this done in in 16 bits with some of that classic cinema where amiga slash st pixel art i think well. that's a good a good shout yeah mm -hmm. um there's just one word on the next answer dave and i'm not familiar with this movie so beaten tyrone says moonfall now moonfall is a, a film that came out last year um uh, it is a disaster movie with sam tarley from game of thrones in it um it's a film i've not seen so i don't know um I, I don't know if it's a great film or not but maybe that's not what you need for a cinema where thing maybe you need a bit of the the a bit of a, a B movie kind of theme to it to be a good film. So maybe, maybe Tyrone has picked um, this film because it's a bit of a modern B movie. Yeah, I just read a snippet from the uh, wiki article. It says it follows two former astronauts alongside a conspiracy theorist who discovers the hidden truth about Earth's moon when it suddenly leaves orbit. That's not a moon. Is that a is that a Star Wars quote? <laughs> yes, that's no moon. <laughs> that's no that's moon. No that's moon. That's not a moon. <laughs> <laughs> it's the carry-on Star Wars. Um, Continue oh, towards uh, the target. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, oh, just reading that snippet, what that reminds me of is LucasArts' The Dig. That's, that's how I would imagine this yes. game yeah. to come out hmm. like. Um, yeah. So there yeah. you go. Uh, Chris, you've got the third answer. But the question was cinema, we are not LucasArts. That's true. 
Yeah. Oh, well, yes. We'll, we'll okay. It. Okay. Just just a video game style, but yes, you're right, Dave. You you, yeah. you always are. <laughs> old, com- <laughs> old computers 1969 to get on to the third answer halo forward till dawn uh, he says he's a big fan of the halo franchise be interesting to see an 8 or 16-bit interpretation of the game okay so, so that's a game that became a tv series that he wants to see as a an older game <laughs> yes there's, there's a 2600 port of halo so get 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 into that because <laughs> it's nothing like the original game but um, um yeah. has anyone seen the Halo 4 Forward Into Dawn, the uh, no. series? No? no. No. I can't really comment on that. But, um, yeah, that it would be interesting to see. Because how could you interpret a game that was a game once before without being influenced by that original game? It would That's be, true. Yeah. be a big ass. I think, I mean, maybe he's saying that, maybe they're saying that they want... Um, a cinemaware style game set in the Halo universe. That makes I guess sense. that's what you would get. And cinemaware yeah. cinemaware style games are much different than mm, sure than Halo games. So maybe it's yeah. a yeah, hmm. yeah, the thinking man's Halo. Um, other answers uh, this week included um, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull from Generation like Pixel. Mm. Colony yeah. activist uh, wants a different version of uh, Dennis Villeneuve's Dune. Um, Corax twenty six sixty four Top Gun Maverick that would be good. Three yeah. um, D Freeman lists off the Batman, Rogue One, Blade Runner, The Hobbit, The French Dispatch, Dune, Valerian, Tenet, Dread, Oblivion. Wants to see all of those, so that should keep cinema where um, uh, busy. And also, just his last line, I love it. Please give me a Wes Anderson cinema where game. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. That would be good. I'd love that, Chris. Army of Darkness. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, this week's question of the week. Uh, Let's head over to Chris, who has the question. So this week's question of the week. No idea why Dave's giggling in the background. Actually, I do. Um, But if you could have one arcade game in your living room, what game would it be? Simple as that. Cabinet. A cabinet, yeah, not just the game, the cabinet, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, towel. the it could full be size. Full, yeah. It could be sitting, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. We even let you have question. pinball okay. games in there if you want. Yeah. That question will be pinned to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you can also submit stories for our consideration for discussion on next week's show. Hope to see you over there. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.